Genesis 4, verses 1 through 16 and 25 through 26. The man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious, and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? Then he said, What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. But Cain answered the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Since you are banishing me today from the face of the earth, and I must hide from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth, whoever finds me will kill me. The Lord replied to him, In that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Adam was intimate with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has given me another offspring in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. A son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh. At that time, the people began to call on the name of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Lori, for reading that. So four chapters into the Bible, in the Bible's introduction to the story of the world, of humanity, of all things, and of our stories, we have this story that we just read together, the story of Cain and Abel. This story is not the kind of thing that you would choose to read to your children or other people's children. For a bedtime story, is it? Especially if you have four boys like we do, who are all brothers, <laughs> who have always, at least at some point in portion of their life, uh, shared a room together so they might lie awake all night, you know, with one, one eye open. I wanted to start a little bit light because this is not a light story. Four chapters in to the Bible. This disturbing and difficult story. The third person to exist in our world 
killed the fourth person to exist in our world. We're not, we're not off to a very good start as a human race. It's not long before anger and hate and murder and strife come into the picture. Genesis 1 through 11, as we've been saying, is the Bible's prologue. It's the background story that is the necessary context for everything else that comes after in the larger story. And what we have here in Genesis chapter 4 is the Bible's prologue story, background story, to hate and discord and conflict and strife and violence between people. This is like the background story to all of this. Coming right after chapter 3 with the entrance of sin into the world with the fall of Adam and Eve and its infection into the human race and every human heart, what we have here is a story that tells us how the breakdown in our relationship with God as a result of sin leads to the breakdown in our relationship with one another. That breakdown in the relationship with God because of sin results in the breakdown of our relationship with one another. And what makes it really difficult to read is that it's not just a story of hate and strife and murder between two people in general or between two groups. Every day, we see stories about this. Just open up your phone and click on news And there will be stories like that. We've seen so many stories, we become desensitized to it. Even last night in Los Angeles, as of now I think 10 or 11 people have lost their lives because of murder. We see this all the time, we see this every day, that sometimes it loses its effect on us. But here in this story, these are two brothers. And so, this, this is the murder of one brother to another. It's jarring, it's shocking, and it's meant to be. In fact, the story goes out of its way to emphasize that they were brothers. Seven times in the first 11 verses, the word brother is used. And if you look at this with me, instead of uh, just using the name Abel or just calling him him, it repeats the word brother over and over again, as if to jolt us every time. She gave birth to his brother Abel, verse 2. Cain said to his brother Abel, verse 8. Cain attacked his brother Abel. My brother's keeper or guardian am I, verse 9. And God says, your brother's blood. Why all this repeated emphasis on the word brother? Well, I think with a commentator, Gordon Wenham, who I've been benefiting a lot as I've been studying this, This and many other factors lead us to see that we're meant to read this story. Yes, as the story of two brothers, Cain and Abel, it happened in history, and also as the story of all brothers and sisters, all the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, which is us. This is, in fact, what we are, brothers and sisters. So every time we read that word, brother, it's meant to jolt us. Make us think of the ongoing hate and strife and discord that happens in our lives. So Cain's memorable question, if you look at verse 9, 
Many people who don't know anything about the Bible, maybe never even read it, they know this question, am I my brother's guardian, it says in this version. I'm going to say my brother's keeper because that's how we um, often remember this question. Am I my brother's keeper? It's not just a question that Cain asked by him or about Cain. It's a question for us. For all of us, and there's so much here in this text, what I'd like to do this morning is look at that central question, am I my brother's keeper, from three different angles. And we'll have the, the points come up on the PowerPoint as we move along. This is an angry question. This is an avoidant question. And finally, we'll see how it is an answered question by God. So first, an angry question. We all get angry. Right? Can we admit that? We might say, yeah, I get frustrated. I get annoyed, but just say it. <laughs> you get angry. Sometimes we get even furious. Sometimes it's like rage monster type of level. My kids always remind me of how they remember how I got so angry once at my college football team. And their performance, as I was watching on the television, that I took a little cutie, orange, it was just a cutie, not a full orange, and I chucked it at the TV. <laughs> they always remind me of this. And that was pretty harmless, but many, many times, our anger results in harm to other people. I know mine has. And that's clearly what happened with Cain. We read in verse 5, look at verse 5, it says, He became very angry, furious. And his anger, despite God's warning him and asking him about his anger, has continued to boil over in hate and rage and then murder. So when God confronts Cain, Cain, where is your brother Abel? Cain's response, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? It's still a very angry response. Cain is still boiling with rage and fury. And the question is, why? Why is Cain so angry? We have to go back to verses 3 and 4 to see why. If you look at that with me, verses 3 and 4, we see um, they were giving offerings, right? Abel presented his offering to the Lord, it said, um, well, first it says Cain presented some of the produce of the land. Cain was a farmer. Abel raised animals. Abel, it says, presented some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And God regarded Abel's offering, but he did not regard Cain's offering. Now, there's a lot of the history of interpretation of this text spends a lot of time here going, what happened? Why? Why did God accept Abel's and not Cain's? It seems unfair to us on the first reading. Now, one of the answers that isn't true is not because Cain offered produce and Abel offered an animal as if God doesn't like, you know, veg vegetarian meals or something like that. Because in the Old Testament, God commands the offering of produce and 
of animals later on. So that's not it. The answer, I think, is pretty plain from the passage and in the way that other parts of the Bible explain it. Again, notice how the different offerings are described. Cain presented some of the land's produce. There's an offering, some of it. On the other hand, Abel, it says, presented some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And this is very significant language throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. The firstborn and the fat. That is the first and the best. This is not the leftovers. This is not an afterthought. This is the first and the best. And the difference in that description is very stark and it reveals the very different motives Cain and Abel had. To offer your first and best to God is to believe at least two things. One, it's all God's anyway. It's all a gift. So I'm going to give him back the best of what he has given me. And in addition, it reveals that the offerer believes I can give God my first. I can give God my best because he will continue to provide what I need because he's good. To offer God some is to offer the minimum requirement. It's just to go through the motions. What you're doing is keeping the first and the best for yourself because you don't trust that he will provide. You don't trust that he is good. And you don't see it as a gift. This is why in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, I think we have it already on the screen, the author of Hebrews goes back to the story and says this. This is the difference. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. Here's another way of saying it. I think there's another slide that lays this out. What's the difference? Abel's offering was for God. If God is God, the maker of all things, the Lord over all the world, what I give to him should represent my first and my best. That's the only thing that God deserves. It's what he's worthy of. I'm in God's debt. And Abel's offering was a demonstration that this was the heart with which he was offering that. Cain's offering was not for God, it was for himself. Why do I say that? Because if if we just follow this logic, if I give God something, some of it, then he'll give me something in return. That's what I really want out of this offering. And we can see that if you just think through maybe just an illustration of if you give somebody a gift and they don't like it, (laughs) they don't have regard for it and say, no, that's not really what I wanted. Um, You know, thank you for the thought, but I don't want this. I don't need this. If you get angry at that person, then what were you giving the gift to them for anyway? Was it for them or was it for you? Because you wanted something in return. You wanted them to give you approval or you wanted something for them. That's what's going on with Cain. Here already in the fourth chapter of the Bible, we have these two ways of relating to God. Genuine faith and what we might call religious faith or counterfeit faith. Both can look the same on the outside. Uh, You could say, oh, there's Cain and there's Abel. The brothers, they're offering things to God. Looks the same. But there is 
a world of difference. These are utterly different operating systems, like one is iOS and one is Windows, two very different ways of operating and living that are diametrically opposed. And that, as this story demonstrates, that affects all of our relationships. There's religious faith, which is giving to God to get what you really want from Him. I'll give you something, God, but what I really want is this, something from you. And there is true and genuine faith that is giving God our first and best to get what? To get Him. To live with a sense of His regard. To live in a sense of his acceptance. Right? That's what, Cain, uh, that's what Abel received. What did Abel get out of this? He lived with the regard of God, the approval of God. And that's what he really wanted. Now, if these things look so alike on the outside, it's so close. They're both doing the same outward actions. It's so hard to tell the difference. But this story, it tells us how we can tell. Anger. Look to our anger. We get angry. Why? When we don't get what we want, when the way to what we want is blocked or what we want is withdrawn, especially when we feel like something is unfair about that. When we aren't getting what we deserve and others are getting what they don't deserve. Think about what makes you angry. (laughs) Most likely it falls under that category. That's what Cain felt. Verse 5, Cain was furious. He looked despondent. His face fell. Now, we said this before. Anger is not necessarily sinful or bad. It's like a warning light. It's like an alarm that's saying something is wrong here. Something is wrong. It can be righteous and good anger that restores relationships, or it can be unrighteous anger that is a destructive force. For Cain, this was a warning light. Something is wrong, Cain. Something is very wrong. Something was, but in his case, that something was him. That something was in his heart. And that's okay at that point. If Cain were to see the alarm and respond to it, The difference between genuine faith and counterfeit religious faith is when confronted with our sin and our wrong by God and his word, we can move past anger into confession and into repentance. And that's what God was offering Cain in verse 6. Cain, why are you furious? Why do you look so despondent? The answer that Cain should have given if he was honest is you didn't give me what I wanted. I gave you an offering. You didn't accept it. And not just that, you didn't accept my offering. You accepted Abel's. I deserve better. He doesn't deserve what he got. But if all is gift, if all is of grace, then Cain should have realized, I didn't deserve any of this. And neither does Abel. But he's living in trust. Living in trust that all is grace and God is good. The story is just one illustration of why people who live out of the operating system of empty religious faith are the most 
angry people in the world because they are living out of a sense that they are not getting what they deserve and other people are getting what they don't deserve. Let's take a moment to apply this. If we'd like to know, what's our operating system? Do we have genuine faith or religious faith? We have to look at our anger. Not deny it, not pretend it's not there, but we have to look at it and question it. God is big enough for our anger. We can come to him with our anger. He comes to Cain, and Cain is furious. Cain is angry. God's not intimidated by that. And God doesn't come to Cain and say, you're angry, you're furious. Let me flex on you, and I'll show you fury and anger. No. God comes. He says, why are you angry? Tell me. Let's deal with it. Let's talk about it. I see your anger, Cain, and it will master you. It will destroy our relationship and all of your relationships. Or your anger can be a doorway into genuine living faith. That's true for Cain, and it's true for all of us. I could say more about that. Let's move on to the second point. This is also an avoidant question because although God was moving towards Cain and saying, there's an open door here in your fury and anger. You can come to me. You can change your operating system. Cain doesn't go in to the door. His rage is turned against Abel as if the anger he had against God, life is not fair, God, you're not fair, could be solved by letting it out on his brother. So when God asks, where's your brother Abel? And Cain replies to God, am I my brother's keeper? He's not looking for an answer to the question. He's looking to avoid responsibility. This is an avoidant question. Cain is trying to avoid God. He's trying to avoid his sin. And he's trying to avoid the consequences of his sin. Let's just move through those three things briefly. We can put those on the slide. But the story tells us we can't. We can't avoid any of those three things. We can't avoid God. You see how God pursues Cain? When he is furious, after his half-hearted and his empty religious offering to God, God pursues him. God pursues the angry religious person. And that's encouraging when that angry religious person is us. Cain is saying, God, you owe me better. And God is pursuing him and inviting confession and warning him. God pursues Cain even after he murders his brother. God pursues even the worst of sinners. Where is your brother Abel? God knew. What's the point of the question? What's the question for? Even then to invite confession. Even here. And as we see the story move on, even in the punishment that God brings to Cain, he says, you'll have a mark that will remind you and everyone else that I, God, am your keeper. You weren't your brother's keeper, but I'm going to give you this mark. We go, what is the mark of Cain? And we could speculate all kinds of ways uh, right now. Some people say God tatted Cain up. I don't know where that's from. I mean, tattoos are very ancient in the ancient world, but then maybe he had some kind of tat. I don't know. Maybe. Somebody even said, an, an ancient Jewish scholar said, God gave Cain a guard dog. 
Again, very speculative, but, you know, kind of interesting if he said, that, don't mess with Cain because his dog will rip into you. I don't know. Some way, God marked Cain out. But what's significant about this is not necessarily figuring out what it was, is the word. It's the same word used for God's covenant signs. The covenant sign of the rainbow, the covenant sign given to Abraham. God said, I have a promise, Cain, even in your sin, even in your murder, I will be your keeper. God pursues Cain, even in his sin. And thanks be to God, we can't avoid him. He is always pursuing us, no matter how far we get. We can't avoid sin. We could spend a long time on this as well. God comes to Cain and says, Cain, this is before he murdered Abel. Um, Here's what's happening. If you do what's right before me, things will be well. If you don't, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. In our world, in a fallen world where there is sin, there's no avoiding sin and what it wants. What does sin want? It wants us. It wants to rule us and master us. It's personified like an animal waiting for the opportunity to pounce, to enslave us and to rule us. Like we saw earlier, Jesus says, anyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. And sin, what it seeks to do is to use us to destroy us and God's image. Sin would seek to eradicate the glory of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, and the image of God. So it seeks to hurt and harm and condemn and scar and wound our brothers and sisters through us. God says, you can't avoid this fight. You can't avoid the struggle. You can't just say, I'm a neutral party over there. You can't avoid the question, am I my brother's keeper? Cain is looking to blame God and Abel. God won't let him. He says, if you do what's right, this is what will happen. If you do not, And its desire is for you, but you must rule. He keeps saying, you, 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 Cain, take ownership. You must rule over it. This word, you must rule over it, is the Hebrew word timshel. I'm probably not pronouncing that right. It could be translated, you will rule over it, or you must rule over it. Or in the King James, it was thou mayest rule over it. It's as if God is saying, you can't avoid this, Cain. The choice is yours. You have responsibility. What will you do with your sin? We can't avoid God. We can't avoid sin. And and the, the story tells us we can't avoid the consequences of our sin. The worst consequence of our sin is here played out in this story. What is the worst consequence of our sin? is that sin will give us what we want. That's what Cain's punishment was here, right? God says, okay, I'm pursuing you. You don't want me. I will give you what you want then. I will let you follow the lead of sin into what you want. You want to try to avoid me and run away from me and live without me despite the opportunities I have given you? Okay. Verse 14, Cain says, I must hide from your presence. Verse 16, Cain went out from the Lord's presence. In addition to that, Cain says, 
I'm going to be a restless wanderer. God, God says that first to Cain. God says, you don't want to be your brother's keeper. But you want to be your own brother's murderer. And you still won't own it. You want to be that far away from the responsibility, the ownership that you have to the human community. Okay, you will be a restless wanderer. A restless wanderer? One scholar defined it like this. What does this word mean? It means to lose all sense of belonging and identification with a community. It's to live lonely. Now, later on, we see, we'll talk about this next week, we see Cain marry, and we wonder, how does all this happen? And he builds a city. Is he rebelling against the sentence God has given to him? He's not alone, but he lives lonely still. He lives alienated from his family, from his parents, the brother he killed. And even his own family inherited his anger, his restless, wandering spirit, as we see his great, 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 great grandson, and we'll talk about this next week, said, if Cain is a murderer, I'm an even better one. Well, that's obviously not the kind of family you want to be a part of, the kind of community or legacy you would like to leave. He is a restless wanderer, lonely and alienated from people. Sin, God said, if you follow it, if it's mastering you, it'll give you exactly what you want. You can't avoid the consequences of sin. Two things to consider on this point. Again, building on what I said Under the first point, a question for you to consider. How might God be pursuing me in my anger? Our world is very angry right now. And I don't think any of us are immune to that. In your anger toward others, when you are angry, when we say, yes, God, I do want you to come and pursue this. Come over here, come close, and please show this other person that I am so angry with how they are wrong and their sin and their fault. Here it's the opposite. Cain's anger was the doorway for him to see his own sin. And we should consider this in our own patterns of anger. Don't avoid what God might want to do, even in your anger. Secondly, there is a lot of restless wandering happening in our world today. Loneliness is one of the, if not the, malady of our current time. Call it a loneliness epidemic. And ever since that phrase came out, it hasn't gotten better. All the signs are that it's still continuing to get worse. That we are alienated from one another. That we are trying to do it alone. And maybe so much of this is because we are avoiding the question, am I my brother's keeper? Instead, we're just thinking, I'm living my life. I am living my best life. I am living for my rights. I am living for myself, my identity, and the consequences of avoiding this, could it be that we are experiencing what it's like to live as restless wanderers? We can't avoid the question. Finally, how does God respond to all this? It was Cain asking God the question, right? Am I my brother's keeper, God? Did God answer? Yes. Right after that, in the next verse, he says, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me. The breakdown of our relationships with one another is something God answers. It's something God notices. It's something God sees, hears about, and cares about. For Cain, the consequence is that the curse is intensified. He must live 
with the consequences of saying no to his own question. And yes, God is astoundingly merciful, even in his judgment, even when Cain, he doesn't really confess. He just responds in self-pity and says, it's too much for me to bear. How could you do this? And he says, I won't allow brother to continue to harm brother without judgment and justice. But is that enough? The anger and the avoidance of the question in this story continues on, as we'll see in the book of Genesis. It continues on today. It continues on right now. It continues on last night in the shooting in L.A. Relationships are broken. People are harmed. People are destroyed every day, even killed. We can't avoid it. Jesus taught that the dynamics at work in this story continue to be at work in all of our lives. And that we don't think that we are off the hook. We can't think that we are off the hook if we have not committed murder. Let's just put up that uh, section from the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of Matthew, verses 21 through 25. Jesus says, you've heard it said to our ancestors, it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your offering there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Jesus says, don't offer anything to God if things are not right with your brother or sister. Isn't he saying, you are your brother's keeper. There is no reconciled relationship with God without reconciled relationship with our brothers and sisters. But at this point we wonder, who will say yes to the question, am I my brother or sister's keeper? Here, Adam and Eve, they've got one son dead, one son banished. Who will master anger? Who will stop avoiding God? Who will say, yes, I am my brother's keeper? How does God answer? Look down at verse 25. Another brother is born. His name, Seth, means granted by God. God has given me another offspring, Eve says. He's granted me another son, an offspring. Back in verse 1 of verse 4, Eve didn't use this word offspring for Cain. Do you see that? It's actually really weird what she says. She says, by the Lord's help, I got a man. And people are like, was Cain born a man? Why, well, he was a baby. He was, it's a weird way she says it. Here, she remembers back to Genesis 3.15 what God said, his promise there, when he said to Eve, I will put hostility between you and the woman, or he says uh, to the serpent, and between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Eve is remembering the promise God made. An offspring, a brother will come who will win the victory over sin, who will answer yes to the question, I am my brother's keeper. Who is our keeper? Who is our protector? 
who is our guardian, who won't let sin and evil and anger and avoidance wreck our relationships and destroy us. The Bible says, ultimately, Seth did not answer the question of Abel's blood crying out to the Lord, but it was another offspring of a woman who did answer this question. Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews 12, 24. I think I have that on the screen. Tells us, you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. It speaks better than the blood of Abel. What was Abel's blood speaking? It was speaking, something needs to be done about this. God says it was crying out to him. And so what is Jesus' blood saying? That's different. It's saying something has been done. Jesus, our brother, gave his best for us. His offering was his first fruits, his best, his everything. Jesus, God in flesh and blood, gave his blood, his life, murdered by his brothers, the human race for whom he came, betrayed and left and abandoned by his closest brothers. They couldn't keep watch with him in prayer. When he asked them to, they left him alone. No one was the keeper of Jesus. But still he answered the question, am I my brother's keeper? With the yes of his life and death. He laid down his life for murderers to keep and to guard and to protect us. He took what we deserve so we can get what he deserves, the exact opposite of Cain, who killed his brother because he wanted to take what Abel deserved. Jesus died to give us what he deserves and what we don't. His blood speaks. His blood speaks to our anger, friends. His blood speaks to our sin, our failure, and our avoidance. Why? Why did Jesus lay down his life? Why did he willingly shed his blood? Why? So that we might be reconciled to God and to each other. So that we might answer the question, am I my brother's keeper with a yes? Because Jesus, my brother, guarded me. He kept me. He protected me from what my sin deserves with his life and with his death, with his blood. It's all grace. So I can learn to guard. I can learn to protect. I can learn to keep my brothers and sisters. Romans 8, 29 says, what's the purpose? What's the grand purpose of what Jesus came to do? It's this, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I'm going to close with this final thought. If I have been kept and guarded and protected and treated like a brother by Jesus Christ, how can I not keep and guard and protect the well-being and the life and the flourishing of my brothers and sisters even when they don't deserve it because I didn't deserve what I've been given by my brother Jesus. Friends, As 
fellow PCA pastor, uh, Micah Edmondson says in the reflection quote, they're at the very beginning of your bulletin. They're at the very beginning um, of the service as we had that up. I don't think we can flip all the way back, but I'll just pull it out so I get it right from my bulletin right here. The great mark of this sinful age has been to ask, am I my brother's keeper? Meanwhile, Jesus gives us the gospel grace to say with our lives, I am my brother's keeper. Whether or not we feel personally responsible for knocking our neighbor down, we're all responsible for picking our neighbor up as if our own brother or sister were down. May God give us the grace to be like that, each one of us and us as a church community. Let me pray for us. Father, this is a hard story to read, hard to see it happening in the text, in the story, and also hard, even harder to see it happening in our world and even in our own hearts. And so I pray in the places that we are angry, that the blood of Jesus would speak to us. Speak to us of the grace that we have been given. Speak to us of the cost of that grace. The places where we are avoiding you, trying to avoid that question, our responsibility to love one another, I pray you would melt our hearts and break our hearts, remembering that we have been given a brother who loves us to the end. Never stop protecting, keeping, guarding us. May we, Father, be given the grace and the power by your spirit to do the same for one another. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Do you stand with me? We're